Abarume, it's Kevin. So glad, as always, to have you jump on to listen to this week's podcast. And in this message, I speak on generosity of spirit, um, but maybe from an angle that you're not as familiar with. You know, I propose that a generous spirit isn't primarily or first and foremost something to do or cultivate, but in fact is someone to first receive and then release into the earth. I believe that the generous spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so we got to start as we look at the days ahead of the opportunities before us to grow up and mature into greater levels of supernatural and radical generosity. We have to start in looking at the generous heart and spirit of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so I bless you as you listen to see something new and receive new revelation about the generous heart of God for you that actually empowers you to then embody and release that generosity to others. So enjoy the message. I bless you as you listen, and I'll see you around. Um, (laughs) um, I want to pray for us. It's daylight savings time. Uh, Anyone else feeling that one? Yeah. Lord, who invented that thing, man? Someone who hated parents with small children, (laughs) which is me. Um, Anyway, so if you're like me and your brain's a little bit off in la-la land and an hour behind, you're in good company. And the good thing is, is uh, we don't need our minds necessarily because this is a spiritual deal. So praise God. But I do, I do want to pray because um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. The warfare around this specific message is a very, very simple one, but it was significant for me, which does nothing but encourage me. Um, that the enemy is on blast. If we can lean in to receive what he's inviting us into today, um, but then continue to lean into it in the days to come to let it bear fruit in our lives, watch out. Um, And so I wanna pray. I would ask that you not just listen to me pray, but pray with me. Why? Because it's not me who's gonna teach you anything. It's the spirit of truth. And we need him to open our eyes. We need him to give us ears to hear. We need him to enlarge our hearts so that we can run in the way of his command. So I want to be obedient to extend all that he's put in me to do so. But ultimately, this is his deal. And so um, pray with me. Cool? So, Father, we just acknowledge your presence here. And we are so delighted to be your children. We love your house. We love being in your house. We love belonging to your house. Jesus, you made it all possible. The joy, the comfort, the peace, the stillness, the rest, the hope, all of it, the fellowship and union, you made possible because of your yes and because of your life that you've given us freely and without measure and without limit. Spirit of God, we ask you to teach us today. But more than teaching us information, would you impart truth to us so that we could incarnate truth to embody you in the world, to look like you, to step into the more that you're inviting us into as the hour gets darker, that we would shine brighter as we're conformed into your image. Wow. And we carry your kingdom in a way that makes us shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life, as the scripture says. And so, help, help, help. Do your thing, Lord. Amen. Well, this morning, I woke up 
shockingly, I'm always the last person to wake up in my family. Um, I'm more of a night person. But this morning, thank you, Daylight Savings Time, I was the first person to wake up. So when I woke up, there was no coffee made for me. <laughs> my wife is watching at home. She's rolling her eyes in her spirit. And, <laughs> and so I got in the shower and got ready, did my thing. And um, I stopped at a coffee shop by our house. We're over in East Dallas. East Dallas, whoop, whoop. And um, stopped at the shop, and um, I walked in, and I was grumpy because I was tired and resenting daylight savings time. And um, I walked in, and immediately the environment in this coffee shop, there was a substance there. This isn't like a, this wasn't Hebrews or like some Christian coffee shop, okay? It was a regular coffee shop. And I walked in, and there was a substance there. And I found myself like, Huh. It was weird. And I walk up to the counter and, um, and uh, Avea, who was taking my order, who I met, um, had this genuine welcome. And I asked her about her name because I'd never heard it and had this little conversation. She wasn't rushed to get to the person behind me. She was present. She was welcoming. She was generous. And I waited and some folks were talking to me and just the vibe in the whole coffee shop was like so giving. And there was joy in the baristas. And I was like, man, what is going on? This is weird. And um, the guy who gave me my drip coffee just calmly walked up and looked me right in the eyes and said, hey, man, I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And it, that sounds cheesy to say now, but it like nearly made me cry. Because <laughs> I was like, it was real. It was real. He meant it, you know? It wasn't like, our pleasure, Chick-fil-A. It was like overflowing from a real place. No shame on Chick-fil-A. We eat it more than we should. But it was genuine. It was giving. It was generous. It was warm. And I left, and my cruddy little attitude had somehow dissolved in gratitude for the generosity of service I had just received. As simple as it was, it did, it, their generous service did something in me. It was a substance. I don't know if they were Christian or not. I don't think so, judging by some of the words on their tattoos. <laughs> but I, it doesn't matter. Regardless, they were walking in generosity. And, and it did something to me. That changed me. And I found myself so grateful, but also like, man, I wish the church looked more like that more often. And, um, and so... Something today we're going to talk about a generous spirit, um, but I think we're going to talk about it in a way that is perhaps different than we're used to hearing it. Um, something that I was meditating on last night when I should have been sleeping was about the harvest that's coming. You know, there's a harvest coming, <laughs> there's a big one coming, a big one of renewal and people fresh that jumped off the boat that are going to jump back on. And there's a whole big fat harvest of people that have heard but not yet believed who are going to encounter Jesus. And we can anticipate and pray and give thanks in advance for that coming harvest. But I want to tell you, this is not merely a time to look and wait for it. It's a time to prepare for it. 
And when the harvest comes, it's going to be highway and byway, lame and cripples. It's going to be men who are still wearing dresses, people who drop four-letter expletives because they don't know how to speak properly yet. It's going to be people who are a little bit messy and still have addiction issues and don't know how to behave rightly, but they're going to encounter the righteous one and be changed in righteousness, but they're going to have a whole lot of process that's needed. And if we don't first deal with ourselves and the tendency to operate out of religion and scarcity, then when the harvest comes, they won't find a home with us because we'll be hung up on their wonky behavior trying to get them to act like we think that they should instead of rejoicing that the Father is throwing a party as they're returning. Ooh, there's a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming. And that should excite us, but it should sober us that there is much room, beloved upper room, and those visiting wherever you're from and watching all over the world. There is a grace to prepare to foster within space, not for the actions of generosity, but to hold and contain the generous spirit of Jesus Christ in a way that actually creates a substance that as those flood in, we're not threatened, confused, or scared, but overflowing with a warm welcome for them to join the family as is. And so... Living with a generous spirit is not deduced to simply writing your tithe check. It includes that. That's the baseline. That's the starting place. It's not just hospitality and having people over sometimes for dinner. It involves that. It starts there. But living from a generous spirit is so much more than that. Living from a generous spirit is living from the same place as Jesus embodied in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but yours. For their sake, for the joy set before me, I will. And so that's what we want to cultivate, amen? When we talk about generosity, oftentimes we focus, if you've heard message on generosity, it focuses on the acts of giving, right? Right? And see, here's the funny thing about the kingdom is faith works, right? Faith without works is dead. So faith without works is nothing. Faith does work. But works apart from, from faith is death, right? Because we, we can't do anything, anything done outside of faith doesn't please God, because only faith pleases God. And I want to tell you, faith is not a muscle to work. If you have been told that faith is a muscle to work, someone lied to you. It's not a muscle to work. It's a gift to receive. Faith is a gift from a father. We don't need to flex our muscles we need to fellowship with the Father in order to walk in faith. But if we just approach generosity merely from talking about the act of giving, we run the risk of giving without faith. And can God use that? Absolutely. Is the discipline of creating a lifestyle of generosity, 
important? Absolutely. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but I don't want to just give to give because I'm supposed to. I want to overflow into supernatural generosity because God himself, the generous spirit of Christ, is in me overflowing to extend more than I could extend, to give beyond what I would feel comfortable doing, to actually enter into divine supply, to overflow in abundance so that I'm full, you're full, everyone's happy, needs are met, all is good. I want a faith-filled generosity in me and in us. And so I want to define some terms because if, if believing, because there's a difference between belief and faith, right? Believing is agreement. It's, a, it's agreement with a truth. Yes, I believe that that is true. I believe that is true. Yes, it's here. It's in our head, Right? There's power to belief. It informs our perspective. It informs our worldview. It um, eventually impacts our actions. Belief is important, but we're not called to live by belief. We're called to live by faith. If belief is acknowledging there is a door here, yes, there is a door, then faith is walking up to that door and knocking and knocking and knocking, knowing that there is one inside that house who will open that door to me and welcome me inside. That is faith. And so faith, to me, I want to define it. The scripture defines it, but I want to put it in my own language. Faith is not merely agreeing with something as true. Faith is putting the full confidence in and full weight of our dependence upon the nature and promises of God. Faith is full confidence in what he says, what he did, what he promises, and full, unadulterated, unapologetic neediness upon him. This is our birthright. We get to be that free, that I don't need to know, I don't need to understand. I don't need to figure out and find my way. I get to be confident in my unknowing, in the mystery, in the sojourn, in the journey, because I know who he is and I know what he's promised and I can fully lean upon it and I get to be like the wind. I don't know where I've come from. I don't know where I'm going. I know where I am because here he is with me, but I'm free just to be blown around by the voice of God into places I wouldn't choose, wouldn't expect, couldn't get access to, wouldn't know what to do with, but there I am, that is me right now. You are looking at someone who got blown by the Lord into things that I'm like, how on earth am I here? There are some people that have known me for a very long time that would say the exact same thing. How on earth is he here? And that's because it's been a journey of faith. So I want to propose to you when we talk about generosity today, um, I don't want to talk about the act of giving. We're not going to really talk about that. It's because we're going to start first from where faith originates and it's in God. To cultivate generosity, we have to look at the giver. Generosity, a generous spirit isn't something to cultivate. It's someone to receive. Jesus Christ is the generous spirit. And we get to receive him as generosity incarnated, and we get to release him as generosity incarnated. Cool? It starts with him. All right. 
I prayed, didn't I? Okay. (laughs) Daylight savings time. All right. I think it was, it was, um, actually it was Benny Hinn who said this. Hey, we got a, all right, we got a follower of Benny over here. Um, It was Benny Hinn who said this, um, which, oh, so good. That um, the greatest hindrance uh, to worship is self-awareness. The greatest hindrance to worship, a life of worship, not just singing songs, but a life laid down as a yes to God, which is our spiritual act of service, amen? That a life of worship, the greatest thing that hinders it is self-awareness. Why? Because in order to worship, we have to look at one that's not us. You know, I, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. My favorite thing about the gospel, my favorite gift in the gospel is not the remission of sin, although I was a really good sinner. I was really, really good at it, right? <laughs> I have a friend that's known me for like 30 years, so I was a very good sinner. Um, and I am grateful for the forgiveness of sin. I am grateful that I stand before you just like you sit here in this room clean by the blood of the lamb. That I'm not defined by my history, my past, my hangups, my weakness, my limitations. I have been washed and made new. I am a new creature in him. The old is gone and behold, the new has come. I am grateful for the remission of sin, for forgiveness. So grateful, but it's not my favorite thing. I'm grateful for the provision in his covenant, that I belong, that I fear no lack, that I fear no need, that anything pertaining to life and godliness is freely afforded, not something that I need to figure out how to get, but something that was already given to me long before I existed when a man hung on a cross and walked out of a tomb three days later, that I have access to not only the fullness of the nature and character of God in fellowship and in union, but I have access to all that the kingdom of God possesses because if he did not deny his only son from me and from you, then how much more freely will he give us all things, all things, not just what's needed, but above and beyond what's needed so that he can make much of his glory and his name and his goodness. Praise God. I love it. I love that body, soul, spirit, relationship, all of it. There's provision. I've been supernaturally healed. I shared the story last night. I won't share it today for time's sake, but I got healed and it blew my mind. I I didn't have faith. I had a bad attitude. I was like, do not do that. On a scale from one to 10, is it better or where where are we at? I'm like, don't do it. Just leave me alone. But I got crazy healed and it, I laughed, cried for hours. I couldn't I still am like, what the heck happened? It was supernatural. I am so grateful for the provision in the gospel, but it's not my favorite thing. The favorite thing, my favorite thing, my favorite gift in the gospel is that it frees me from me. It frees me from being bound by my own estimation, my own assessments, my self-criticism, to even have to think about such things, 
to count certain things and calculate and triangulate and figure out how to get the thing done and what is the call and what do I do about and all that stuff that the world does, I don't need to do because I don't need to worry about me because I'm that convinced that one who owns all things, who created and sustains all things is for me, in me, and producing his life. I actually believe and am growing in even greater belief and faith in Galatians 2.20 that I no longer live, that Christ lives in me, and that the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. And so I don't need to worry about qualifications, understanding, future plans and investments, I'm free from me so that I can be freely enjoyed by God and enjoy him in return. And you are too. We're that free. The gospel gives you permission to lose your self-awareness. It's my favorite thing. And so I, today in, 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 in looking at what it, what it means to be a generous people, what it looks like, what to dream together for, for a little bit, for the next half an hour or so, about what it could look like if we moved into realms of supernatural generosity, not just in giving our things, but giving our own selves, to walk in generosity of honor, in generosity of service, in, gener- in generosity of hope, in believing the best and seeing the best generosity of worship and praise. If we go an hour, let's go two, you know, whatever. To dream for a little bit about what's possible, what life could look like and how we would all be impacted. Um, we have to not start with the action. We have to start with the one. And so today, um, we're gonna look at the giver, the, gener- the generous spirit of the Father, the generous spirit of the Son, and the Spirit of God who is the Spirit of generosity. Um, you know, when we stop looking at the giver, what happens is that the world around us does a really good job of convincing us that, yes, indeed, there is not enough. There's not enough stuff. There's not enough time. There's not enough, um, there's not enough. I was like, everyone's like leaving. I'm like, what, what's on the screen? <laughs> I'm offending people already. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's not enough position. There's not enough placement. And we start backbiting. It's the root of every greed, malice, envy, comparison, striving. When we start to believe the lie, because it's a lie of scarcity, that there isn't enough and I need to find my way and make my place and climb up the ladder and make sure that I protect myself from you and from this so that I get to where I feel like I should be and all that stuff. We start acting like orphans because we've stopped looking at the Father who is the giver, who reminds us that we're children and we start acting like orphans and it is the root of every kind of evil, right? We're told the love of money, which is the fear of lack of it, is the root of every kind of evil. Having money is great. Being blessed by the Lord is amazing. Being wealthy is awesome. There's nothing wrong with it. But the love of it will lead you to protect it, which will lead you to doing whatever it takes to keep others away from it. And the whole gift in it to begin with, the weighty gift that he's bestowed upon you and me becomes a weight that crushes us because we're meant to be free, freely receiving 
and freely giving. We do not want to fall into the lie of scarcity. We want to walk in freedom. We don't want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We want to eat from the tree of life. And that tree bears fruit in every season. And it knows, it knows no, no lack. Um, <clears throat> okay. We're going to dive in. Uh, if you would open your Bibles, 1 John 3. I'm about to read the scripture, which is going to be the most anointed, authoritative, powerfully effective part of the sermon, because it's the word of God. So if you hear nothing more than this, you got what you needed. <clears throat> Okie dokie. <clears throat> First John 3 talking about the generosity of the Father, what that means for us and how we respond. And now, little children, <laughs> anyway, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Why? Because we had already sojourned for a lifetime cultivating confidence in him already. Anyway, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Here we go. See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Maranatha. Maranatha. Um, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Um, practicing righteousness isn't about moral superiority. Remember, we're not viewing righteousness from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We don't have to eat from that tree when we have access to the tree of life. Practicing righteousness, I love Don uh, and I. Don uh, is on staff and oversees a number of things. Ministry team is one of them. She's an incredible woman of God. But we were in our one-on-one -on -one, uh, last week and she was sharing with me a definition of righteousness that I love because it's simple and it's true. And she said, righteousness is simply being rightly connected. Righteousness is simply being rightly connected. And we are rightly connected to the Father when we embrace our, and when we embrace our identity as children. We don't overinflate and try to act bigger than our britches. Being righteous before the Father is knowing him as Father and being liberated into childlikeness. This is righteousness in this, in this passage. But I love, see what kind of love, what kind of, that, that word in Greek is, it's what origin or what country of origin love, right? Like where that love 
came from. The love of the Father is deeper, richer, more unconditional than we could ever know or even dare to imagine. It is eternal, limitless, overflowingly selfless, giving love. It is a love that the world may have shadows of but can't even begin to touch. We need the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit in one another to even begin to grasp the little bits of the truth of the reality of the love of the Father because it originates from eternity. And we can't even, we don't even, we can't even grasp it. We just can't even grasp it. But it, I love that word lavished. It's not just that he's given love, right? It's that he's lavished love upon us over and over and over in his son. I want to define lavish for you according to um, the inspired scripture of uh, William Webster's dictionary or whatever. Just kidding. That was a joke. Um, lavish. <laughs> Sorry. If you don't know me, you don't know how snarky I can be. Um, lavish. Oh my gosh. This is so uh, expending or bestowing profusely profusely. Um, I, I want to give an example. I, I don't know if someone's like playing a joke on me, <laughs> but I think someone's signing me up and putting my phone number down for like random things because I am getting an absorbent amount, like a profuse amount of spam calls over the last few months. Like I, if you look, it's just like red missed calls of like random numbers from all over the place. Like even Russia, like Russia called me. I'm like, why is Russia calling me like to sell me life insurance? Like I don't understand what is going on. And I was getting really, really frustrated by these annoying calls. They don't even leave messages. Anyway, it was profuse, right? Over and over and over and over, starting at like early in the morning. And I was getting upset about it. And, and, uh, and the Lord told me something just this past week um, that framed it for me in a different way. And I love walking with the Spirit of God, don't you? The way he gives you perspective and like things that once were like the most annoying, cumbersome, frustrating things. He speaks a word and all of a sudden reframes how you see it and all of a sudden the curse becomes a blessing. <laughs> how on earth spam calls became a blessing, I don't know, but it did. Because this is what he said to me every time you see, because what does it say when you get a spam call? Unknown caller. Every time you get a call from an unknown caller, think of Acts 17. And I was like, okay. I go and read Acts 17. And in Acts 17, Paul in Athens sees a, an altar to an unknown God. And he tells the Athenians, what's unknown to you, I know. And I've come here to proclaim to you that the father of us all, who ordained your time, seasons, and the borders of your habitation, so that we might feel our way towards him and perhaps find him, though he's not far from any one of us. And he said, every time you see an unknown caller, known, know that just like Paul, I'm making my feeling towards you known, that this ring is not a ring of annoyance, but a ring of remembrance for you, that I'm seeking you out, Kev, that I'm looking for you, that I too am feeling my way, my heart is feeling its way towards you, receive me. And so now every time I get an unknown caller, I'm like, thank you, I should, I joked about it last night, I should jump on the phone and be like, thank you, messenger of the most high, you know? And they're like, what? We just wanted to talk to you about your car insurance, and I'm like, whatever, bless you, you're ministering to me. 
But I love that. He's lavished his love upon us, bestowing profusely. He's another, two more definitions under lavish. Expended or produced in abundance. In abundance. I used to believe that the cross made me tolerable to God. Right? There's whole streams of the body of Christ, beautiful as they are, gifts that they have to offer us and other streams. But there's whole streams in the body of Christ who would not say that outright, but the way they live their lives and the way that they approach God is in a subtle faith that the cross merely made them tolerable. But the truth is that the cross was not God's solution to a problem. It was an expression of his desire. The cross, I love it how Peter frames the cross as God's proposal to mankind. I love that. The cross didn't make us tolerable. It was out of desire for us that the cross even happened in the first place. It's abundant. It doesn't just meet the need and cover just enough to not leave us bare, broken, and naked. It provides in abundance, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds, all the more. It doesn't just meet it. It supersedes it. This is the lavish love of God. When we come to him as children, we're not just getting what we need. We're getting more than we need in a way that should make us uncomfortable. If, if God doesn't make is oh, okay. Someone, someone gets it. Someone gets it. If you're not uncomfortable feeling in over your head, like, really? At the things God speaks to you, as the, way, the ways in which he rejoices and delights over you, the things that he's called you into and the stuff that he entrusts to you, then I would say repent and believe Cry out for faith, because there's more. He wants to give more than we're comfortable receiving. He wants to be better than we're comfortable receiving. He delights over us. And the third definition of lavish, it's marked by profusion or excess. It's a wasteful love. It's a wasteful love. I know that word is tripping some of you up, and that's okay. But here's the thing, it's wasteful, why? Because it's extended to all mankind, even those that reject it and trample upon it. It's extended to those that use it, not as a gift, but as a battering ram in religion to control other people. It's wasteful that it's given freely to all who are willing to receive it without demand or expectation in return. His love is wasteful, it's excessive, it's lavish. So grateful for the love of the Father. In 2012, I, I, I mean, I am constantly being convinced by God over and over and over again that he loves me. You, are you in that same boat? It's like over and over and over again. It's just, he's always having to convince me of how fond he is of me. And, um, but in 2012, when I, you know, jumped off the Hot Mess Express and he plucked me out of the pit of crazy and put my feet upon a rock. Thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, I, I went on a journey of, I didn't know it at the time. At the time, what it looked like was a season of radical consecration. I had been so completely undone 
by the love of the Father, his mercy, his holiness. I was just drunk in the spirit all the time. And, um, but quickly after that, he invited me into a season of radical sacrifice, radical giving, where um, over three months, he finally wooed me. It was, got to the point where I was like, man, if I say no, I'm in disobedience and sin. I've got to do this, even though it went against every value system that I had, everything that I was comfortable with and everything that I'd been taught growing up. Um, and that was to leave the six-figure salary that I had and the business that I had built and all the stuff and to leave that kingdom that I had created to die in the place of prayer and to learn from him. And I gave away money, I gave away things, I lived by crazy faith and didn't make a cent for eight months. Did not make any money, did not have any money. There is at least one person in this room that walked with me during that season that can testify to everything I'm saying is true. And no one really knew about it, very, very few people knew about it, and I put the full weight of my confidence and my dependence upon that journey upon the the Father. And I said, man, if you are calling me to this, this feels foolish, reckless, and absolutely wrong. But I can't get away from the fact that you're inviting me into this really costly sacrifice. And so you have my yes, but I got chutzpah with the Lord. And I said, but that means that I will not be late on a bill. I will not be late on my mortgage. I will not be in lack and I will not be a burden to anybody else. Because if I am, then I know the grace is lifted and this season is done. But if you're calling me to live this way, then the full weight of my life isn't on me anymore. It's on you. See what I said there? On me anymore. Why? Because I actually believed a lie that it was on me to begin with. And that's what the season was about. It was about wrongly assessing him as father, more in the image of my own than the father of the Bible. And I had grown up with a value system that sounded good and looked good and the world respected, but it wasn't what the book taught. And it wasn't what my inheritance was. And so it was really not a season about sacrifice or consecration at all, really. That was maybe the form it took, but it was a season of learning to be a child of God. And I lived supernaturally. The Lord fed me by ravens and prophets. And it was crazy. I was never late. I never had to ask for anything, though there were many dark nights of the soul when I was like, I just want to call my mom. I just want to call my mom and ask for money, you know? And I'm like, Bleh. but I, I waited upon the Lord and, and my value system shifted. I didn't become more careless. I actually became a better steward but we can't become good stewards if we're operating in, like orphans. You have to be a son first to be a steward, right? The world has opinions and thoughts on stewardship, but the world lies to us. <laughs> stewardship in the kingdom is give it all away and trust that he'll give it all back in return. It's not yours to begin with. You don't have to save up for a rainy day. Whatever. I'm not, again, hear me. I don't want a pendulum swing. We have to follow the voice of the Spirit. Okay? But there's more for us. And the Scripture has some pretty radical teachings in terms of how we live as stewards that I think are pretty profound and countercultural. And so I... I I saw early on in the season of knowing the generosity of the Father, I saw him meet my needs. I was never late, and I was able to do things, and it was supernatural how it was happening. Um, until one day when I was sick and tired of eating oatmeal, 
Um, I was joking last night. I was like, I hate oatmeal now because I eat so much oatmeal. And uh, my wife loves oatmeal, and I just started eating oatmeal again. Like, it's been 12 years now since then or whatever, 11 years. Um, so much oatmeal. Uh, but I, I can remember, this is a small story. Um, it's simple, but it, it was weighty for me at the time where I didn't want oatmeal, man. I wanted a pizza, right? I wanted a pizza. And so I thought, man, I'm going to scrounge every couch cushion and cupboard, and I'm going to look for change to make my way to Little Caesars <laughs> to get a hot and ready pizza, which I think were $5, right? They have zero nutritional value and are basically plastic, but it's what I, it's what I wanted. <clears throat> I didn't think to ask my father for a pizza. I thought I'm going to find some change. So I hunt through the stuff and looked in all the places and I went to my roommate's room. You didn't know about that, but I went and I'm like looking. <laughs> and I think I found two bucks 50, right? Not enough for a pizza. And I'm like, oh, and then it dawned on me, ask the Lord. I didn't ask the Lord for a pizza. I asked the Lord to help me find another two bucks 50. <laughs> That's funny, right? But how, how many of our prayers sound like that? Father, help me do, help me get over the, help, I don't know what I need to do, Lord. Help me know what to do. I want, help me do what I, me, me, I, me, I. Stop praying like that. Those aren't necessarily prayers God's interested in answering. If you grew up, I say this all the time, but it's worth saying again, if, if you grew up being told that God helps those who help themselves, then someone lied to you. That's an antichrist spirit. God does not help those who help themselves. God came for the sick, the lame, and the dead. God delights in rescuing people that can't help themselves, who are stuck and dead in their trespasses and sins. He doesn't help. He's not assistant. He's savior. And I don't know if you're like me, but I need saving a lot because <laughs> I can't do very much on my own. He, he's not assistant. He's not interested in assisting you with life. He's interested in becoming your life. He's interested in becoming your life. And so even though I was like, it was an earnest place, it was a true desire, and he's so patient because he's lavished his love on me as his son, but I... I scrounged and I got frustrated at the Lord because I didn't find another two bucks fifty. And <laughs> shortly after that, just maybe ten minutes, there was a knock at the door, and um, and I answered the door, and it was a delivery man from Scalini's Pizza. <laughs> Scalini's is my favorite East Side. White Rock Pizza Place at the time. And I'm like, this is a messenger. This is an angel. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, are you, are you real? You know? Uh, and he was like, hey man, I got your pizza. And I was like, I don't, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, or, I didn't order a pizza. I mean, I was like, what the heck? You know, like fear and trembling. And he was, he said an expletive. He's like, oh, he was like, the person put an online order. I've been driving around. They're the third house. 
I don't know. They must have put in the wrong address. I can't. Just, do you want it? Because it's probably cold already. I'm going to have to go call and rescind the piece anyway. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I get the pizza. I eat the whole freaking thing. <laughs> I was really skinny at the time. So I looked like the alien from the 80s movie, Mac and Me. And I was like, my belly was like distended out to here. My little legs were like, you know. <laughs> that whole piece. I got so sick. And it, I, like, every was like praise to God, you know? I was just like moaning in the spirit of how good. Just so grateful. And as silly as that story goes, it's significant. It's an Ebenezer for me. That as my father, he didn't just help me find another two bucks fifty. Because he didn't want me to do it. And he didn't want me to settle for little Caesars. <laughs> no shame if you love little Caesars. God bless the Caesars. I don't know. Because he doesn't give simply what's needed. He gives in abundance. He gives more than enough. You know the etymology of the word desire? The etymology of the word desire, desire, is of the Father. I learned that from Trace Howard. Every desire, every desire has its origin in the Father. We try to meet authentic God-given desires in illegitimate, orphan-hearted ways. And that's where we get messed up. But if you drill down, if you drill down past what you think the desire is to what your heart is crying out for, it's something that he put there. And I desired to be fed, and he fed me that day. Pizza in the natural and truth in the spirit. The generosity of the sun. Oh, gosh, we don't have much time left. Uh, at noon, if, you, if they put the screen up and you need to get your kids, go. Or if you're just done and before me, then you're free to leave. You are free. But I want to talk about the generosity of Jesus and the generosity of the Spirit before we gather at his table and end. <clears throat> so how do we respond to the generosity of the Father? We simply say thank you. And we embrace childlikeness. That's harder than one might think. But when we see him as he is and we receive him as he is, it's not something we have to try to do. It's something that just naturally happens or supernaturally happens. The generosity of the son. Oh, we see the generosity of Jesus all over the place. In his life, in his ministry, we see generosity in his death. We see generosity in his resurrection. We see generosity in his life in the fact that the very first miracle that he did was a miracle of excess. It was a wasteful miracle. The very first statement of his identity as the son of God coming with the chief goal of revealing the father was, you've had a lot of wine. I'm going to give you even more and it's going to be better than all the stuff you already drank. Wine wasn't needed. They had had enough. Like I even get tripped up by that a little bit. I'm like, how much wine, Lord? And it wasn't just wine. It was the best wine. I don't even, you might not even remember this, Mike, but Mike is like a Somalia. He, he's just amazing, Mike Moore, in his knowledge of wine. In early, early days, um, we used to celebrate Passover together, and um, Mike graciously and generously provided the wine. And so my very first Seder, um, <clears throat> I pour this 
glass of wine, and I, I, you know, I hope this doesn't trip you up, but I like wine, you know? And um, <clears throat> so I poured this glass of wine. It was like the first time you ever had craft coffee, you know, and you grew up on Folgers, and you're like, this is what coffee's supposed to taste like? Holy mackerel. Well, what if someone's been lying to me, you know? And it was like that with this wine. I drank this wine, and my eyes nearly popped out of my head. It was delicious wine, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm buying this wine for like a special occasion. And I looked it up and I was like, nope, I can't afford this wine. <laughs> Not gonna do it, okay. And, but I remember talking to Mike afterwards. I don't know if you remember this, but I went to Mike and I said, man, that wine was amazing. And he said, you know, it wasn't the wine I was going to bring. I said, really? He was like, no, I, I was going to, <clears throat> I was gonna bring actually a, a, a less nice wine. Because we're talking about a lot of bottles of wine because there was a lot of people, you know, <clears throat> for every table and whatnot. And I said, really? And he's like, yeah, but the Lord convicted me. And he said, Mike, I've given you the best to give the best. And, um, and we see what Mike embodied was the same generosity of the son when he showed up at a wedding. And he revealed the abundance the abundant generosity of the Father in wine. We see the abundant generosity of Jesus and the fact that he didn't just feed the multitude and satisfy their hunger. There was plenty left over to pack a little Ziploc baggie and take it home and sh or even share it as they made their way back to wherever they were going. There was more fish and bread left over than what was needed. We see his generosity in the Garden of Gethsemane when he wrestled more than we could ever fathom but he found within himself the generosity of will to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Father. He knew what was coming, and he did not want it in and of himself, but he chose it in generosity, seeing the joy set before him, which was the inheritance that he was to receive and our freedom in his name. We see the generosity of Jesus in his life. We see it in his death that he didn't just, it wasn't just a blow, it was a mock and a jeer and a whip and a mock and a spit and a whip and a carry and blood and a crown every, every moment. He could have stood in a moment and called legions of angels and ascended and said, that was enough, and we'd get partial redemption. But he, in his generosity of death, took every single thing that you and I deserve upon himself so that our redemption would be full and complete in him. He knew a pain, not just in his physical body, but the pain on the cross when the father turned his face from him. For the first time since eternity passed, the father, he lost sight of the father. Can you imagine? We can't, we can't imagine. We cannot imagine the pain Jesus endured in his death and the generosity that was released through every step of that process. The generosity of his commitment to our fullness and our life that, oh gosh. We see generosity in his resurrection, right? He was dead, they put him in the grave and then all of a sudden he like walks through a wall into a room with his disciples. He could have absolutely demanded, yo, Hello, I'm resurrected. Believe, you know, that would have been a legitimate, like, expectation. But his generosity to Thomas, 
to not demand that Thomas come where Jesus was. But Jesus came to Thomas where Thomas was and said, oh, Thomas, you have little faith. Put your fingers into these holes. See and believe, but blessed are those. Blessed are those happy, are those who have not seen and believe. The generosity and the resurrected one to be fully clothed in glory, ruling and reigning the cosmos, and to him continually to meet me in my manger, in my mess, in my weakness, not demanding that I ascend, but coming down with hands extended to pull me up where I can't go alone. The generosity of the resurrected one is profound. How do we respond to the generosity of the son? It's simple, as most things are in the kingdom. We come to him and we learn from him because he's meek and humble and he doesn't put anything ill-fitting or heavy upon us. We come to him day by day. We allow his word to instruct and inform our values and lifestyle. We allow our hearts to be pierced and our conscience to be washed and renewed, our perspectives to change as we daily come before him to learn from him, to follow him, to become like him, to allow his hands as potter to shape us into the very image of generosity, not just leading us into the acts, but to actually conform us into the image of the generous one. We come to him, we learn from him, we yield to him, and we follow him day by day. That's the simple response to his generosity. And of course, we say thank you. Lastly, the generosity of the spirit. <clears throat> In Galatians 5, 23, it talks about the fruits of the spirit, peace, righteousness, joy, goodness. That word goodness is also translated other places as generosity. <clears throat> Generosity is a fruit of the spirit, which means it's not an act of the will alone. It's something that overflows. When we are abiding in Christ, we will be generous with our time, with our stuff, with our affection, with our praise, with our honor of one another and our acts of service. It's not something we have to will to do or try to do or be convinced of doing. It is simply something that comes up and out of us by the presence. It's a manifestation of the presence of love in us. Love being the spirit of God. It's a fruit of the spirit. So we all, if you are in Christ, our lives should be marked by the fruit of generosity, right? But it's also a gift, right? If you're created entrepreneurial, if you've been given the gift and the blessing of wealth, um, if, you're, if you just have this kind of sixth sense of investments and timing and where and when, I want to tell you the Spirit of God's given you the gift of generosity, the gift of giving. And it's to make your heart so complete and happy to be able to sow and to reap, to advance the kingdom of God and to see him do with however significant or small your gift is to do exceedingly more than what you think could happen with it, Right? It's, it's a gift that you have, but say that's not you. The beautiful thing about the Spirit of God is that we get to ask for any gift and we can get anyone that we want, right? Because if we ask him for a gift, he doesn't give us stone or serpent. He gives us from himself. The scripture says it's the Father's delight to give you the kingdom and all that comes with it. And what is the kingdom? Peace, righteousness, joy, all the stuff, right? It makes the Father happy. And so if you 
want to walk in greater levels of wealth, ingenuity, entrepreneurship, stewardship, and giving, then ask the Spirit of God, Spirit of God, you are the giving spirit, the spirit of generosity. We respond by asking the Spirit to fill us, to overflow, and to release the gift in us of supernatural giving. And watch, I dare you, I dare you to ask him to do that. Knock and keep on knocking. And watch what happens in your circumstances, how you just happen to make the right investment at the right time. And you're like, whoa, I saw a return. You just happen to be at the right place at the right time for that business connection that you've been trying to get. Just ask, but remember when you receive it, what it's for. And I'm not saying that you have to not enjoy it, right? Because it's more than enough, but it has a purpose. It's not just given to be given. It's given to be multiplied and extended. Amen? So we respond to the generosity of the Spirit by asking, looking, looking and acting, by moving, by extending, by opening our hearts, our homes, our pocketbooks, you name it, whatever he requires and whatever we feel impulse to do because he loves a cheerful, foolish, hilarious giver. Amen.